So this morning, we come back to where we left off, really, because we had been uh, in Second or First Corinthians chapter 12, and I finished up last week with verse 12. And we started out with the things that Paul had said to them, to the church there in Corinth. There were issues that they had, and one of those was that they, they, they were operating in the gifts, but they were not operating correctly. So he started out this chapter, and he says, Concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. And he's going, he begins to teach then about what they are, their use, and misuse or abuse. So in chapters 12, 13, and 14, we have Paul laying out for us these different things. He wants us to know their source, which he had told us it is from the Holy Spirit, their distribution, which is by the Holy Spirit, their purpose, which he told us last week is for the edification of the body of Christ, and their benefit is that all the whole church would be benefit by the exercising of the gifts that God has given to each one. And he will tell us of the best gift in chapter 13, which is love. And uh, I'll make some comments about that, a little bit about that this morning. And in chapter 14, he lays out for us how they are to operate, how the gifts are to operate within the church. Thank God for the instruction that he gives us in his word. And especially today, as we see there are so many that pretty much they try to determine by their own idea, not necessarily by scripture, but by their own heart, their own idea about what all that looks like. And there's a reason why God gave us the scripture as he did is because there was a problem that was taking place then. And you remember as we started out in the first Corinthians the problems that they had with schisms within the church. They had divisions. They were somewhere of Paul, somewhere of Cephas, somewhere of this and somewhere of that, and how they were divided up into these various groups and sects within the church. And Paul is teaching them, telling them that that's not right, that we are all of one. We are all one body, and he will explain that even more so in the last half of this chapter, how we are all one, and it's critical that we know that and understand it, because the purpose for gifts in the body of Christ is the benefit for every one that's in the church, every one. Nobody's special, you know, even though there are gifts that we may see as being special, they're not. They are the same. And he goes through, I love the way that Paul lines it out for us because he puts it in a, in a way in which we can relate. He says that we are all members of a body and he puts reference to that in that fact that when you think about your own body, nothing that you have is special, right? You love every part of your body except for, you know, like... Uh, if you don't like your stomach, like I don't like mine, right? Then that's there. But evidently, I must like it enough. I keep filling it all the time. So, you know, if I hated it enough, I'd stop. You know. But the truth is, is we love ourselves. We love our body. There's no body parts that I really want to get rid of, even though I like might like to re no, I would like to reduce the size of it. Uh, it it's still something that I love, and I I try to take care of. So Paul. I, I love the way the Lord works because I'm that kind of person. I am the, you know, I need to see something that makes sense, that's reasonable. And when he puts it in that framework with a body and body parts, it's easy for us to understand and to relate to that and how that applies to us in our life. So he starts out here, and uh, we're going to start out picking it up in verse 12. It is 
For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Romans 12 has other gifts that are listed, and it starts with the exhortation to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice and to let the Holy Spirit work in you and through you. And that would be a great exhortation for us today, that we would submit to God's Holy Spirit, allow him to exercise the gifts that he wants to give to us for the benefit of the body of Christ. If we will simply allow him to do that in our lives, it will minister one to another. In verse 13, he says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit. So now Paul is going to continue to emphasize the fact that it's the one and same spirit that gives the gifts and exercises the gifts within the body of Christ. We talked about this last week, that even though it is the responsibility of the spirit to give to administer the gifts within the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that God the Father and God the Son are left out. As a matter of fact, we saw last week that it really is all three are involved in this process. But the Holy Spirit is the one that leads and guides and directs and gives gifting as needed to the body for the sake of the body. In verse 14, he says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So God has given gifts and talents to all, and we might look at others and think, I really am nothing when I see the gifts they have. But God wants us to know that each gift that is given is equal in importance. Each gift that God gives is equal in importance. Just as it is that uh, each body part has different functions. And certainly there are at times that one part or another may have a greater need and a greater emphasis. It still doesn't take away from the rest of the body in that sense when it happens. When I have need to, to walk, my legs and my feet become one of the most important parts of my body at that time. In order for me to do that, they have to function in the capacity which God has created them. But at no time are the other parts of my body less important overall. As a matter of fact, you know, even though my feet and my legs are important when it comes to that, my brain is also important at that time as well. It requires that I'm able to think and to operate in that capacity with my brain. And we could go down through the whole list and, and see that everything is still connected. And that's the point that Paul is making here, is that it, there may be many gifts, there may be many members, many body parts, but it's still the same body. It's one, and it's one in Christ. And he'll emphasize this here in verse 15 when he says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. It is therefore, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing... Where would be the smelling? But now God has set, mem set the members, each one of them, in a body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So he points out there are differences, and it's important that there are differences. And, and like I said, to me, it's pretty understandable and reasonable when he points out that if we were all the same, we would really look very funny. Even though I find that 
The one body part in the body of Christ that seems to always want prominence is the mouth. Everybody wants to be the mouth. What a funny looking body we are. But we're not all that. We are of each member a part of we're noses and ears and eyes and feet, hands, legs, arms, everything that we have need of in order to be able to function and to do well is found within the body of Christ. And so we need to accept whatever it is that God has, is doing in us, whatever gifts that he has given to us, whatever he wants to do in us and through us so that the body doesn't look funny and out of sorts. And so it's critical that we know and understand what it is that God has gifted us with in order to be able to do that. So how do we do that? How do you know what it is that God is calling you to do? I can tell you this, that oftentimes it's more something that is a natural outworking as we draw near to Christ and God puts us in various situations, those gifts will come to the surface. And one of the gifts that, that comes to the surface all by itself is a gift of helps. You see it happen within the body of Christ that as we, and this is why it's so critical that, that we are close to one another, that we function as a body, that we gather together, that we spend time together, that we get to know one another so that we know the needs of one another because there are times that God exercises that wonderful gift of helps when someone has a need and people, it just their heart is touched by God. I need to do something about that. I need to be the one. Not, oh, somebody else needs to take care of that. Obviously, you don't have the gift of helps. But there are many that do have that gift of helps, and that's, that's one of the gifts that's prominent within the church and should be. But I, will ha I do have to say this, that it functions only in the capacity when the body is really acting as the body and that we are together and that we are spending time together and getting to know one another. That's when, that's when that, that gifting functions. What happens sometimes, though, there are people who stay separated or minimally connected to the body. And then when they have a problem, when they have an issue and nobody comes to help them, they criticize the church. Nobody does this. Nobody does that. Well, maybe it's because you're not close enough to anyone for somebody to have that gift to exercise on your behalf. I find that it's a natural thing. And I, I, I use that as an example because I'll tell you what, um, I love this church. Everybody knows that. But I'm really blessed in the fact that there are many in this church that have that gift. We see it happening all the time. When somebody has a need, and oftentimes it's those who are in a position to where they really can't even help themselves. We have people that are connected to this church that can't even get here. But yet this body has raised up and it is reaching out and ministering to the needs of this individual, even though they can't get here, because the gift of helps is being exercised within the church. Interesting to me, as this person is minimally connected, as a matter of physically not connected at all, that person can't get here at all minimally connected because they're not able to spend time with everybody but God has used the gifts in the church to be able to reach out to this person and to minister to them in a very good and powerful way to where that person that individual feels loved they feel like they're a part of this church and they are and that's the way it should be and so when God's Holy Spirit is working through individuals oftentimes it's just simply as you're following the Lord as you're walking with the Lord as you're spending time with the Lord you're spending time with the body of Christ that gifts naturally come to the surface and we, and we don't have to go around and putting a name tag on Bob 
gifted as the biggest knucklehead in the church. That's the pastor. You know, we don't need we don't need name tags because the Holy Spirit will bring that about and will reveal to us these things. And it's wonderful when you just see it happening naturally. And as much as we want to be close to one another, the more we will see the operation of the gifts within the body of Christ. The problems began when we distance ourselves. And we're not connected as we should be. Paul uses body parts as an example because we understand that if the nose is disconnected, one, the body looks very peculiar, and two, the nose will not function as a nose if it's not connected. Same thing with a finger or toe or foot, whatever it may be. It may call itself these things, but yet if it's not connected to a body, what good is it? Connection to the body is critical. In order to be able to exercise our gifts, it gives us an opportunity when we're connected to exercise that, those gifts within the church and for the church to receive as, and we too receive from others who exercise their gifts as well. Nobody's a lone ranger. That's what Paul is telling us here. We're all members together and none of us can function. This church cannot function with just a pastor. All the rest of you are so essential to this church and the health of this church that it's virtually impossible for this to be a church without you and without me. That's the idea that Paul is giving us here, is that we are all truly connected one to another. And it's foolish for us to begin to think that somehow, some way, that we're not as important as another individual is because they have a different gift than we have. And it may seem like that's a more important gift, but yet it is not. It is essential. All of them are really essential to the health of the body, every one of them. And none are gifts that we do not want. In verse 15, he, he said so well, he said, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? Of course it is. We understand that. And uh, verse 19, he says, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. All the gifts are equal in significance and quality. A person with a seemingly greater gift should not imagine that he could function alone. Verse 22, no, set, no, uh, no much rather, those members of the body which seems to be weaker are necessary. More importantly, one thought to possess a lesser gift should in fact be accorded greater attention by the other members of the body. Just as in the natural body, special difference in attention and dress is paid to those parts of the body deemed less presentable. In other words, we should understand and take care of one another in these things. Just as it is, I cover my body with dress for a purpose, and that is to cover up things that you don't want to see. Believe me, you don't want to see it. Shirtless is not a pretty thing in my house. I don't even go shirtless in front of my wife. Just kidding, I do. Nonetheless, we do that with the, those who are in the body who may seem to be the weaker and unnecessary parts, but yet we give them greater credence and importance within the church. Verse 23, 
And those members of the body which think to be less honorable on those we bestow a greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. I'd said earlier, and I bring it up again, that this church in particular had a problem with schisms within the church. And, and Paul is making sure that we understand that there's no room for schism, any schisms within the body, within the church. Um, none is greater than an other in importance, and none is greater in purpose. Because of that, it is important that we know what God has gifted us with, and then we need to use it for the benefit of the body. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is a part of God's plan. God combined the members together that the members of the spiritual body would demonstrate a mutual concern for the well-being of others so that rivalry uh, would cease so that there should be no division in the body and genuine unity would exist. How often have we seen, even within our own church, how when one person within the church suffers, so do we. We all do, right? I can think of some folks right now that are going through some very difficult times, and we all are suffering right along with them. I think of our brother Charlie, who's not able to be here this morning. Because of his physical condition, he's suffering greatly. I don't know about you, but I, I feel that. I, I hurt for him. I hurt with him. I suffer that he's not here. I'm concerned for him because I care for him because he is a part of the body here uh, and has been for years and, and is greatly missed when he's not here by those of us who are here and a part of this church. We all suffer when one suffers. So it's important that we stay connected one to another. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, variety of tongues. So this list here doesn't necessarily give to us an order of importance. In other words, apostles aren't greater, prophets are not then greater, and thirdly, teachers are not greater. It is that it is simply a listing of what God has appointed. And we see that in Romans chapter 12 as well, verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, our ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul, not only here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, but in Romans chapter 12 as well, gives a, a further listing of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the body of Christ for the benefit of the body of Christ. Remember what I had said, that in chapter 12, Paul starts out with that wonderful uh, the first two verses when he says that, that we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice to God, which is our reasonable service, our reasonable act of worship unto God, to give ourselves over to him, to allow him to be glorified, that we might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God within the life of every individual. And in that, then the gifts of 
of the Holy Spirit are administered within the church. Part of that listing here. And, you know, the thing of it is, is oftentimes when you present the list of the giftings, there are those gifts that people say, yeah, I'd like that one. Then there are gifts that they say, no, thank you, I don't want. It's probably the one God wants you to have because you don't want it, right? Maybe not, I don't know. Here we see also in Ephesians 4.11, he says that he gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, if anyone speaks, let him speak with, as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the Lord wants to pour out those gifts. I talked about it a little bit last week how there are those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased, excuse me, at the end of the apostolic age. But yet there's, there's no biblical evidence of that or reason for it, nor is there historical evidence of it either. We'll deal with that a whole lot more when we get into chapter 13, verses 3, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Because that's where those who are cessationists who believe that the gifts have ended, they use that, ver the, that section of verses there to say that when that which is perfect has come, then these gifts will cease. And uh, those gifts happen to be prophecy, tongues, but there's also uh, the gifts of wisdom and knowledge that will cease as well which tells us it could not be talking about the gifts of the Spirit as what we are referencing to today. Because although we may want to see the end of what we might call signed gifts, we certainly do not want to see the end of wisdom, knowledge, preaching, teaching. And those who are cessationists would say, no, those gifts have not. Well, they would say the word of wisdom, word of knowledge has ended. But knowledge itself has not. But yet that's one of the gifts that is mentioned there that will cease when that which is perfect has come, which it direct, it's a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes, no longer will any of the gifts be necessary. We won't have a need uh, for the gifts of, of tongues or exhortation or any of these things because he, we will be in his presence and he will be exercising everything that we have need of at that time. But as we look at the list of gifts, I think it's important that we understand that they are still gifts that God wants us to have today. The word of wisdom, God wants us to have that. There are times when we need that from the Lord, that he gives us a special revelation either about a situation or even at times about someone. Same thing with the word of knowledge. We certainly love it when we have that moment of special faith to believe God for things. How often have we called on God to exercise that special gift of faith in our own lives or in behalf of others, right? I think we do that when we pray and ask God to heal. We, we call on, there's two gifts there. There's that of special faith, and there's also that of healings. And those are things that, that we want to see, that, that not because we're looking for God to perform, but because it demonstrates the power of God over all things. And we desire that. I do, anyways. I pray that you do as well. And so we do pray for healings. And that is a gift It's mentioned, I talked about it last week, it's in the plural, and it's something that, that comes and goes. And there are those, there's been those times when I have prayed for someone and they've gotten healed. Then oftentimes I have prayed and there was no healing. So I can say that sometimes God gives me that gift and sometimes he doesn't. And I question those who say they always have that gift and that they have ministries of healings. And 
so often it has been proved to be that um, that is not really true, unfortunately. It gives a bad name to the body of Christ. But I believe that these things are legitimate. I believe that people do get healed today. I do believe that God can still do all these things, operations of miracles. I believe that God does miracles today, just as he did in the first century church. Go through the book of Acts. There's all kinds of miracles that we see that happen there. Does God still do that today? I believe that he certainly can. And I believe in times that he does. And we hear of supernatural things that happen within other places, other countries, other, other times. Also prophecy. I believe that God does give prophecy today. And he may even reveal to us the future of our own life from time to time. I know that he has in my own life, uh, not that it's been so detailed that I can tell you that, uh, you know, that he has told me, go to this place and see this person and they're going to tell you this, that kind of thing. But I've had times in my life where God has told me what he wanted me to do, that what he wanted for my life and in the future. Does he still work that way today? Absolutely. Discerning of spirits. Oh, what a gift we need for that today as we see what's going on in the church. We need to have discernment as to whether or not that person is really from the Lord and of the Lord. Because there are lots that come. They come in, but yet they're not really of the Lord. And oftentimes you'll find that if you compare what they have to say against the word of God, that you find that they are not, they are not true spirits kinds of tongues. And this is the one that a lot of people have trouble with today. Uh, those who are cessationists, they don't believe that tongues are valid and legitimate. And a lot of people choose not to, to even want this gift, desire this gift. But yet, it is a gift that God, by his Holy Spirit, gives to some, but not, not to all. And because of the fact there has been so much abuse, you know, I shared with you guys uh, last week about uh, when a friend of mine was trying to talk, uh, teach my wife how to speak in tongues and how well it didn't work out. And oftentimes people have had bad experiences or seen bad experiences, and so they want nothing to do with the real. And that's exactly the way that the enemy loves to work. He loves to take that which is legitimate and to take it and make it look like it's not so that others would say, I'll just as soon stay away from that rather than I'll just be safe. I know this. I know I can stay in the Bible. I can read the Bible and I don't have to have anything to do with that. And I'm okay. I don't have to have anything to do with the supernatural. I can just stay with the word of God, which is supernatural, by the way. But nonetheless, Oftentimes, the enemy does things, experiences in our lives to try to keep us from pursuing something greater that God has for us. If you speak in tongues, then you know the benefit of it. And I don't, I've never been called on to do it publicly, but I do have a prayer language and I do know the benefit of exercising that prayer language. And I do exercise it. And so I'm grateful that the Lord has given it to me. But I do know that his word says not everyone, and Paul says it here, he says, does everyone speak in tongues? And we'll find out that not everyone does. But don't try to say that it's not legitimate because you've had a bad experience or you yourself do not. It is still real because the Bible tells us that these things are. The gift of helps. The gift of governments. Boy, do we need that today, right? We love, we love to see those who are gifted and called to this gift of governments, both in the church and out of the church as well. The gift of teaching, exhortation, right? Exhortation is so necessary I happen to be one that I know uh, needs that in my life. I need people.
to be willing to share with me what God would share with them in regards to something that's in my life, an exhortation. And it doesn't have to be confrontive. Oftentimes, the gift is exercised simply through teaching the Word of God. The gift of giving. Um, in the church, there are those who have a gift of giving. And this is not one who administers the, the charities of the church. This giver is one who shares his own possessions with others with great liberality. And there are those that have that gift and they exercise it and praise the Lord for them. The gift of mercy. Um, just uh, Not just anyone can be assigned to a ministry to the sick and the poor. Boy, it's, it's one of those that's difficult and hard, but yet those that are called have that gift of mercy, compassion, and love. They have a spiritual burden for and a God-given love for the needy and the afflicted. And human compassion helps, but to this must be added a divine call and the Spirit's anointing. For without such a spiritual endowment, one will quickly become discouraged and critical. It is a special gift. Also, apostles. Now, this is one, a, a gift, but it's also a calling. And this would be the one gift that I would say that we don't have today as we did in the times of the apostles. The word apostle means sent one, so sent out. So we definitely have those who fill that office of going out, establishing churches, ministering and doing those things, but not with the apostolic authority and call of the apostles. And although there is a movement uh, today that is out there, and it's been out there for a long time, it's reared its ugly head once again, but it's no, no more valid now than it was back in the 80s when it was coming out. Uh, the fact is that no one has that kind of authority in the church anymore. The Word of God does, and so God has given us his written word, and that's all we need. We don't need someone to come along with new authority to telling us what we need to do or not to do. But that calling of apostle, we could say that one would be such that would be one that would have authority and, and also starting ministering to many churches today. We may call them bishops. And then also prophets, uh, we don't have any of the who, that hold that office of prophet, but yet there are still prophets today. Evangelist, pastor, teacher, um, the gift of hospitality, one that's so beneficial to the body of Christ. Intercession, another gift, one that I pray that you have in your heart, that you are interceding for others that you know. Sometimes we are the only thing that stands between an individual and destruction in their life as we intercede for them before the throne of grace. God calls each and every one of us to intercession. One of my favorite examples in the Bible of intercession is found in Genesis. When the, the angel of the Lord and the two angels come, to Abraham, they're getting ready to go uh, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that the angel of the Lord was Jesus himself, a Christo excuse me, Christophany. And he gives Abraham an opportunity to plead for the life of Abraham, or for Lot and his family. And, and so Abraham does, he intercedes. He pleads with the Lord and he virtually begs the Lord, don't destroy the cities for this sake. And he gets the Lord all the way down to, to 10 righteous. And unfortunately, there were not 10 righteous found in all of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the Lord destroyed the cities, but he did spare Lot and his daughters. But even his wife was not spared as she looked back as they left the city. The point being that God desires for us to intercede on behalf of individuals. 
For those who do not know Christ, God gives us that responsibility to pray for them and to lift them before the throne of grace. I can tell you this, more than likely every one of us in this room are here as a result of people praying for us and praying us into the kingdom of God. I believe that wholeheartedly. Can't wait to see my aunts, my great-grandmother, and others in heaven that I know that prayed for me when I was yet even unborn in a thought in their minds and then after being born and how they interceded for me and how through that intercession I came to faith in Christ and then through my life in Christ then others came to faith in Christ particularly my mom and dad my brothers intercession is so critical in the body of Christ and we should not take it lightly So I would ask the question, are some of these gifts of the Holy Spirit no longer given to the church today? This is an issue that has greatly divided the body of Christ, both theologically and spiritually. There are some who think those gifts believe, who believe all, excuse me, there are some who think those who believe all the gifts are for today, usually called charismatics or Pentecostals, are deceived by Satan. There are others who think those who believe some of the gifts are no, no longer given are unspiritual and dead in their walk with God. So it, it, there is this divide within the church. But virtually no Christian believes all the gifts have ceased in the church today. All Christians believe the gifts of teaching and administration are given and needed in the church today. It is the gifts that have a miraculous nature which are in dispute. Therefore, many people divide up the gifts into different categories, communicative, administrative, miraculous. Then they often say the miraculous gifts died out with the apostles or when the New Testament came together. Yet it is important to observe that such a division and the categories are not biblical. Nowhere does any biblical writer categorize the gifts in such a way and then say, some categories of gifts will remain, but others will cease. I challenge anyone to show me in the scripture that it says that the gifts at some point would, would no longer be there nor be necessary. But that's not the case. Even Jesus himself, he said he made this promise in Mark 16, 17, and 18. He said, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and they will drink anything deadly. It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's what Jesus said himself that will happen. This is a simple and straightforward promise in context given to those who are involved in spreading the gospel. That's us. They will be unstoppable, and God will use even miraculous means to protect them and make them effective. In the book of Acts, we have seen in chapter 2, in verses 33 and in 39, it says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this is which you now see and hear. And in particular, Peter is talking about as the gift of tongues was being poured out upon the people and they were declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Miraculous. These people did not know these languages. These people understood these languages. It declared the glories of God. And Peter says what you see as they said, hey, these the people said, we perceive that these people are drunk. Peter says, oh no. What has happened is they have been infilled with the Holy Spirit and God is pouring it out through them. And he tells them that what they see there, in verse 39, he says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as, as many as the Lord our God will call. In other words, it doesn't have a place where it says, that's it. It ended here. Peter declared that it's to all generations. Every generation successive after the day of Pentecost there in the book of Acts. The promise of the Holy Spirit, specifically including miraculous gifts, is a promise that is made to all generations. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Paul says, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So he says, yes, it is for all of us, but yet make your, let your motives be pure and right. Why do you want the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, hopefully you do, and that it is for that purpose that it would be a benefit and a blessing to the body of Christ. There is no indication that miraculous gifts would die when the apostles did. And there is no distinction made between the sign gifts or miraculous gifts. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all, the, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So Paul makes reference here, the, once again, to the differences within the body. Not everybody in the church was an apostle. Not everybody in the church was a prophet. Not everybody in the church was a teacher or the workers of miracles. The Spirit worked within the life of whomever the Spirit desired for the edification and the benefit of the body of Christ. He makes reference here that not all have a gift of healings, not all speak with tongues. That, that helps us as we see the gifts being administered within the church to understand that it's going to look different amongst us because not everybody's going to have the same gifts. And not everyone interprets either. Chapter 14, Paul will line out for them what was going on in their church services that was wrong. They were speaking in tongues. Many of them were speaking in tongues at the same time it was like chaos, and he says, guess what? You're flipping out all the people that are showing up that don't know Christ. He said, listen, this is the way it's supposed to go. No one speaks in tongues without the interpretation to follow because tongues edifies only the individual, not the body. But when somebody interprets, then the body is edified. But without that interpretation, don't speak in tongues. And if you don't know that somebody has the gift then pray that God gives you the interpretation before you speak. Because it's critical that that interpretation would follow that gift being exercised. It's beautiful and a wonderful gift, but it's not when it's misused. It's not when it's abused. But that's the case with any gift that the Holy Spirit gives. If it's not exercised properly or it is not exercised at all, then that becomes an issue for the church. The exhortation here, of course, is to earnestly desire the best gifts. In chapter 13, Paul will tell us what the best gift is, and that is love. And not love like we might define it, because if you read through the definition of what Paul says is love, it's pretty descript and it's also one that is a measure of love that few of us measure up to. You know, it's one of those things that as you read through it, if you can insert your name there, love, uh, Bob is kind, Bob is, you know, courteous, Bob is this and Bob is that, well then that's great, but chances are you're going to find yourself failing on a number of those things about the characteristic of love that Paul shows us and tells us. So it's a love that is purposed for us to exercise one to another that really is a gift and a supernatural love that comes only through the Holy Spirit. It is the agape. It is that love that is self-sacrificing. And that is the best thing to desire. And Paul had told them, look, you got all this happening but the problem is you don't, you're not that excited about exercising love toward one another as much as you should be exercising the gifts. And so he encourages us. And he says, I show you a more excellent way. 
God showed us an excellent way of love. And he demonstrated that through his son, Jesus Christ. In John 3.16, it's a familiar passage or scripture, but nonetheless, one that is so appropriate when we're talking about love and also as we're talking about coming to the table this morning. And that is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the, the, the very bedrock of relationship with God, that we embrace this fact that Christ died for our sins. First of all, you have to recognize you're a sinner. And you understand that he died for those sins so that you could have a relationship with Christ. This morning, as we come to the table, I want you to keep that in mind. This morning, Lou's going to come up, and uh, he's going to lead us through communion. So if we could get the worship team to come up, and Lou, you as well. Ushers, uh, why don't you come up too? Because when I did this a couple of months ago, I forgot to call up the ushers. And so I was distracted. And um, we are a distracted people, aren't we? Um, you know, parents, I mean, your kids might have been distracted trying to get them to come to church. But I know looking at it, you, some of you are distracted because I believe there are football games going on today. Some of you are distracted because you got issues going on in your homes. And distracted kids, distracted people need reminders. And so Jesus knew that. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he had some reminders for his followers, for his disciples. We're all disciples here. We all need to be reminded about Jesus. Um, we, as a church, we, we talk about politics, we talk about football, we'll be talking about baseball in a few months. We'll, um, we need to be reminded about Jesus. And Jesus knew that. And so on that night that he was betrayed, He took bread and he gave thanks. There's a lot to be thankful for. And he broke it. And he told his disciples, all of us here, to take, to eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was broken for us. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was mocked in our place. He was made fun of. ridiculed we deserve that he gave it all for us and we need to remember Jesus and he gave us this ordinance this memorial this reminder that we can take this bread and together as a family, we can think about what Jesus did for us, that he was broken in our place. 
that he did this. And just like some of you parents had to remind your kids on the way to church, do you remember your Bible? Do you remember this? Jesus is saying, hey, did you remember? Are you remembering right now what I've done for you? A couple of months ago, I surprised uh, a couple of men by asking them to pray. I'm going to do the same today. So, uh, Jim Code, could you pray a blessing over the bread, please? Amen. Let us take and eat. In the same manner, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. That old covenant, oh, there was you know, repeated sacrifices of sheep and goats and cows and turtle doves and whatever, just constantly reminding the people in the Old Testament times that the result of sin is death. And now Jesus says, hey, we got a new covenant, and it's going to be my blood. My blood's going to be shed for you. My blood is going to cover you. We get to remember what Jesus did for us. We need to remember what Jesus did for us. Because we're forgetful. Jesus shed his blood to wash away our sins. And this new covenant, in his blood, he said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember, people. We need to remember. And we get to remember. And Tom Lucas, you get to pray a blessing over this cup, please. Amen. Let us take and drink. Bob, did you want to share before the worship team closes us out? So just need to bring you up to speed on some things that are going on right now. Um, as of this Sunday, I'm, I'm taking a, a four-week sabbatical. The, uh, this last month has been a rough one. I've had a couple of instances where I 
have not been able to finish when I start teaching because I can't see. I'm, it resembles a stroke. Some of you were here when it happened about three weeks ago, four weeks ago on a Sunday. And uh, it's happened again, and so I'm not sure what's causing it or anything. I'm doing a medical test, of course, and all that, and praying and seeking the Lord as to what it is. So uh, I'm going to take four weeks, and I'm not going to be here. So if you don't see me, that's why. But I'm going to be back. I'm just going to be gone for that period of time. Pastor Paul is going to teach the Book of Ruth during that time. So um, I'm sure that we all are going to enjoy that. I'll be able to watch it online. But uh, anyways, I covet your prayers. Um, I hate even doing this. I don't like it that some kind of attention is focused on me rather than on the Lord, but believe me, I hate it worse when it gets, I'm in the middle of it and I can't continue to teach. Uh, that is more more difficult than this one, believe me. So anyways, covet your prayers. And uh, Pastor Paul, why don't you close us out with a worship song. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And I pray uh, that you will enjoy your day in the Lord. I, I will be praying for you as you are praying for me. And I thank you for it. Uh, and I just pray that the Lord blesses you tremendously.